All right. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford. And I'm Peter Glassford. So this week we have probably the the biggest athlete I think we've had on the podcast so far. We have Eric Jones, who is a NASCAR racer. Uh, So this is obviously a bit of a departure from our normal, uh, you know, aerobic or strength training type athletes, but we're still, you know, really excited about the idea of having somebody that's, you know, doing something so out of our normal, you know, perspective on sports. Yeah, it was really cool. I was excited to talk to him about the training. You know, a lot of people think about sort of Talladega Nights, like Will Ferrell's type NASCAR situations, but, you know, like a lot of sports, it's becoming more and more uh, serious because the sports, you know, people are doing it at a younger age and technology is advancing so fast. You know, we've been doing the sports for a lot longer now. So to do go fast in these sports, you have to be very, very fit and very, very focused on the sport. So it, it's not just, you know, drinking beer or anything like that. It, it's, you know, really serious. So I was excited to talk to Eric about, you know, some of the stuff they do to overcome G-forces, you know, how they train because their track time's limited, um, you know, other sports they do for cross-training, and, you know, sort of how someone would get into the sport of NASCAR. Yeah, I think what's crazy is that Eric has been, I mean, racing go-karts since he was, you know, barely could walk. But he's also been racing full-on cars since he was 12 years old. Uh, at 12, I couldn't have told you the difference between a gas pedal and a brake. And to be totally honest, I'm here in the Netherlands right now where all of the cars are manual. And I'm getting laughed at a lot for my inability to... Uh, drive standard in general. So talking to someone that's been driving at a high level since he was 12 years old was sort of intimidating. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely, you know, crazy. I didn't know that was a thing that you could drive at that young age, but I guess they have different programs and sort of lower powered cars and stuff and, you know, whatever different training certification stuff. So it was interesting to hear that. Uh, he also goes in, obviously NASCAR does a really good job uh, with sponsorship and sort of support, obviously get in front of a lot of people. So, you know, coming from cycling, which, you know, maybe could do a better job of that. Uh, it was interesting just sort of hearing how he got into the sport and how you sort of move from go-kart racing up through to full-size cars, you know, on local tracks up into, you know, all the different leagues and stuff. Um, and through that, we also get a, gotten a good appreciation for, you know, what different sports make up NASCAR and how someone who's maybe not interested in, interested in it could take, you know, their first steps to watching NASCAR and sort of appreciate the sport for, for what it is. Absolutely. And we should also mention Eric is only 20 years old and he was the 2015 NASCAR Camping World Truck Series champion and he competes full time in the NASCAR Xfinity Series now, uh, racing for Joe Gibbs Racing. Uh, you might know him by his nickname if you follow NASCAR. His nickname is this is initials, EJ. Uh, apparently there's another Eric Jones that used to race NASCAR, so I guess he didn't want to be confused with him. So, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of good things here. Again, give it a chance. Like all the athletes we have, you know, there's lots of nuggets there for your training. You can pull away. I think for me the biggest takeaway was just the amount of time they spend visualizing the course and, you know, setting up their machinery and, you know, getting ready for pit row. And I think a lot of that stuff certainly will transfer to mountain bike racing for me. Um, but I think whatever sport you're into or sport you're trying to get into, you know, that, that visualization and time away from the quote unquote track, uh, is something a lot of people overlook, but something that those elite performers are doing, you know, all the time. Absolutely. And I think it's just cool to, you know, just learn about another sport. You might pick up some tidbits that, you know, if you're a, your dad or your uncle at Thanksgiving starts asking you about, you know, NASCAR starts talking cars, you can, you can drop in some, 
NASCAR knowledge and show them up. So, yeah, without further ado, here is our interview with Eric Jones. Enjoy. All right, welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. We're here today with Eric Jones. He's an American professional stock car driver, uh, and he races for the Joe Gibbs Racing Team. Uh, for and those are Toyotas. It's important to get that in there. Uh, racing a Camry, uh, and he is also he's won the 2015 NASCAR Camping World Truck Series uh, and competes on the NASCAR Xfinity Series. So we're going to learn all about the different types of vehicles that he's driving and the different series and sort of how we can take our first steps into watching and then also maybe even driving some cars. So, Eric, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. All righty. Um, so what I really wanted to sort of start into is, you know, we see NASCAR on TV, we see car racing on TV, but, you know, it isn't apparent to me how I would start, you know, if I wanted to get my kids into car racing, you know, how, how would I go about doing that or how did you go about doing that? Other than having kids first? Well, that's the first step. We'll have kids first, I guess, but... <laughs> Once we have kids, um, <laughs> how do you but get into it? It's very, uh, it's very different than any other sport. You know, you think about, um, you know, football or, or baseball. It's it's right at um, most most people's schools, and they start at an early age and can get right into it. But um, with with racing, it's something that's kind of independent. And you have to do it on your own. And I was just always interested in cars when I was young, and and um, <clears throat> always wanted to do something with cars and. Actually, found out from a um, uh, a magazine article that my mom read that you could race what was called quarter midgets uh, around the time that I was seven years old, and and I started racing there uh, out local at uh, a track by me, about 45 minutes from my house that we found, and then uh, then started traveling around more and, and racing throughout the country and and racing these go karts uh, throughout the year, and uh, I raced that until I was about 12 years old, uh, and I got into my first uh, full size car. Uh, at a, another local track by me, uh, Wasso Speedway in Michigan, which was about 30 minutes from my house, and uh, and raced out there for a year, and then started traveling around and some more late model stuff. So, it's um, it's it's definitely different to get into, but I think you know the the best thing for for any young kid uh, is to get into a quarter midget or a, or a go kart uh, at their local uh, track. There's there's actually quite a few throughout the country that uh, are pretty local to most people. Okay. Yeah. And I, I had a friend who raced when I was, well, I still have him as a friend, but he raced when he was younger. Um, and, and he also did that for practice. So do you like, would you ever get in a go-kart anymore? Uh, I do actually sometimes, you know, I, uh, more for recreational, uh, use than, than, than true practice. Um, I go out and just have fun and, and race around, but, uh, you know, there's some guys that do use it for training still. I think go-karting is, is probably, uh, racing in, in close to its purest form, you know, it's it's so fast and so high paced, and, and and there's decisions that have to be made at probably a higher rate uh, of speed than really even on the NASCAR level at times. So there's some guys that do use it for training, but uh, I, I just do it for more of a, a recreational activity. Yeah, yeah, because they accelerate and move and turn like they turn on a dime, right? Because they're so, I guess, because they're so short and so yeah, small. Yeah, yeah, they're 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 very. Um, very active, very, very intense carts. You have to, uh, you have to be on your game. I think it actually helps keep you pretty sharp, you know, for the guys that do use them. Okay. Okay. Um, so then when you were younger, it sounds like, you know, starting at seven, did you, did you play other sports then? Or was that sort of your, your first thing you got into or were you, did you do some T-ball or, you know, something like this? Well, I tried, uh, about every other sport. Um, I did play T-ball. Uh, I tried football. I tried, uh, hockey, I tried track, uh, I tried all those things, I just was never too much of a, of a fan, I think more so because, uh, you know, being a competitive kid, I wasn't 
that good at those things. So it really didn't uh, really didn't feed into uh, that competitive side of me and being successful in those things. So you know, when I got in a race car for the first time at seven, uh, it was something that was was fairly natural to me, and I felt like I had a knack at right away. And and honestly, was was something that I enjoyed more than all those other things right away as well. So I was just able to get into that and, and have some early success. And I think, you know, the enjoyment out of it that I got early on was, was more so in those other sports as well. Yeah, I would imagine it's thrilling at seven to get into something. Yeah, you know, seriously. And just be able to rip around and, you know, drive, you know. I remember being bitter that I couldn't drive my neighbor's Barbie Jeep. So I feel like I would have been pretty stoked. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you, you think of, you know, any young kid, I think a lot of them are out there. You ask them what they want to be, you know, when you want to grow up. It's it's a race car driver or an, a rock star, an astronaut, one of those three most of the time. So uh, mm. to be able to, you know, say you're a race car driver at seven years old, that's, uh, you know, that's pretty cool for any kid. And I was getting to go out and and, uh, and go fast and, and race competitively at a young age. So that was pretty neat. Mm-hmm. Now, at what what age did you were you able to actually drive the full size car? Then was that at twelve or like that was after twelve? No, it was at twelve. Um, okay. I actually started racing in a uh, in a class out at uh, Owasso Speedway. There, as I talked about, um, you know, at that time, racing was kind of transitioning a little bit to some younger ages. I mean, it had been done before, where uh, you know, really young uh, kids have been racing full size cars, but it was more on a um, more on a national and, and more accepted uh, level at, in, in that point. That was 2009. So uh, at that point, I started racing out there. You know, they were uh, they weren't the fastest cars by any means. I, I'd say our top speed was probably 70 or 80 miles an hour. Uh, but you know, you're still on a racetrack with at that time 25 other guys. Uh, you know, full grown men, and they're out there and, and racing. You know. It's uh, it's definitely a, a fairly intimidating experience and a, and a huge learning experience as well. Mm-hmm. And now, did you like? I would imagine at twelve, like I always think of myself as being small. Like, was it as far as legit, like fitting inside of the car? Like, was that an issue at that age? Like, uh, being I was s- lucky. Like being tall you know, enough, you know what I mean? Yeah, there's there's a lot of a lot of kids actually that do start racing it. 12 and 13 and have some issues with that. Uh, mm-hmm. I was pretty lucky. I was, I was 12. I was probably, uh, I don't know, five, five, six ish at 12 years old. So I was fairly tall for a 12 year old and, and I didn't have, uh, too much of an issue fitting in the car luckily. So there's, there's definitely, uh, there's definitely kids though I've seen that have had issues and had to do some, uh, some custom work inside the car to make <laughs> it fit. Some boosters. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. That's about <laughs> what it looks like. Um, okay. So without going too far, um, down here before we explain so can you give us sort of a, is there an easy way to explain you know the different types of car racing you know you talked about midget go-karting you know maybe maybe that's the way to go at it like well, how do you step up through the different ranks to where you are now with xfinity um can you sort of lead us through the different types of racing there are or the leagues i can yeah i mean it's it's um you know the way i look at it is it's kind of the the wild west of sports there's no uh, you know, there's no draft, there's no combine, there's no, there's really no scouts uh, in our sport. It's more of trying to put yourself in the right position. There's a lot of different paths you can take. Um, I've seen, you know, there's guys in recent memory and history that have taken a route of getting into a um, a sprint car, which is an open wheel race car, uh, racing on dirt, even at times, not even asphalt. So, uh, you know, I took the path of, of staying on pavement and and going basically right into stock cars after I was getting out of a quarter midget and then up into uh, what was called a late model 
which is another pretty common way a lot of drivers now are, are going to try to advance through the ranks. And, you know, these <clears throat> these late model races, they kind of travel around really throughout the uh, the central part of the country. You know, the, the, the Midwestern part and, and also, also the southeastern part uh, are pretty big, um, you know, hotbeds for racing and late models. And there's a lot of these big late model races that I think a lot of these guys, you know, in NASCAR – uh, keep their eye on somewhat, you know, as much as there can be a, a scout up in the uh, upper levels of racing. Um, so there's a lot of different ways you can take, but I, I would say the two most common ways would be, you know, an open wheeled uh, sprint car, which is basically a, a bigger version of a, a quarter midget or a go-kart even. Um, and then there's the, the stock car, you know, late model way, which is closer to, you know, what you'd be racing in NASCAR. Okay. And then is the, the truck series, the camper truck series, is that just a, a discipline sort of within stock car racing or how does that work? It, it is. Yeah, that would be, um, you know, there's three tiers, uh, in the, in the top levels of NASCAR and it's the NASCAR sprint cup series right now, uh, the NASCAR Xfinity series, and then the NASCAR camping world truck series. So it's kind of the first step in the, in their, what they call their ladder system. Um, uh, you know, being able to move up through the ranks of those three series. And I was able to get into, uh, trucks in 2013 after I had raced um, Kyle Busch in a in a late model race uh, down in Pensacola Florida we ended up uh, beating Kyle in that race and I got an opportunity to run uh, five races in 2013 and actually ended up winning one of those uh, and that's kind of what jump-started my career to to start moving up through the ranks and, and through the ladder system okay all right that makes sense then um, is, is it different driving the trucks like how much like adjustment do you need to make? Like I know in bike racing, you know, it's hard to make a, a switch, you know, as much as it's, it's a bicycle, you know, on the surface, if you're just looking at it, but like, you know, if you go between road bikes and even just disciplines within road, you know, there's a lot of difference and not many people can go between. Is it hard? Like, do you see, you said that people use it to, to move towards NASCAR, but is it, is it difficult to race them both or, or all three or to move between the two or the, the different, the ranks, as you say? Uh, they're very different. Um, really, all three are very different. The trucks are very different from the Xfinity and the Cup cars. The Xfinity cars are very different from the Cup and the trucks. So uh, everything's really different. I remember, you know, racing the truck, and, and actually last year there was a lot of times where uh, on weekends, you know, I was racing uh, both the truck series and the Xfinity series, and even at times later in the season I had the opportunity to run a few Cup races, and I was running all three. So um, you know, it's it's possible. I think some drivers do better with it than other drivers. There's some guys that aren't good in trucks, uh, but they're good in the cup cars or the Xfinity cars or some guys that are good in trucks and aren't good in the Xfinity or the cup cars. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's very different. Um, the trucks are obviously, you know, you look at a truck, it's shaped very different than an Xfinity car or cup car. And you can see right away, there's going to be a, an aerodynamic difference. And that's probably the biggest difference, uh, for me, you know, when you race on a short track, uh, under a, under a three quarters of a mile, uh, and the arrow effects aren't really coming into play. They aren't a whole lot different. But when you get up on a track bigger than a mile or two mile and a half and above, they're pretty different. Uh, the trucks are uh, a very different driving style. Um, it, they're a lot easier to drive by themselves, uh, but they're a lot tougher to drive in traffic with other trucks around you. So there's a lot of different things that you have to do between the, uh, the, the three of them. But uh, at the end of the day, I think as, as drivers, you kind of try to compartmentalize that and, and remember each time you're you're in a different vehicle what you need to do different uh to make it go fast okay now out of those three the three nascar uh, uh disciplines um 
which one would be like if you had to recommend people watch one like is there one that's like you know more exciting or or easier to understand or one that you would recommend for that first exposure they're all um you know they're all exciting but i think the the truck series is the one that that a lot of people love the races are a little bit shorter um it usually only takes about an hour and a half you know to watch a full truck series race which is extremely short for for any sporting event you know i can't think of many sports in the world that uh that, that having a whole event in an hour and a half um and they put on a good show you know those short races everybody's running hard for the the entirety of the race sometimes when you get into the cup races and the five and, and 600 mile races even uh there's a lot of periods in the race where people would be kind of um you know biding their time riding around saving equipment staying out of trouble uh and those can be moments where you know there's not much excitement going on but the truck series everybody's running pretty hard all the time uh, and, and it puts on a pretty good show. Hmm. Yeah. So how, in those long races, like a big part of that, it, you, you mentioned aerodynamics, but the, also the like fuel and the like pit strategy is a big part of those longer races, right? It is. Yeah. Um, you know, we're fortunate as drivers, uh, to have, you know, uh, number one, a crew chief, but, uh, beyond that, even we have, you know, two engineers up on the pit box that are, are trying to calculate fuel mileage. And, uh, we've, in the cup series, they're pretty lucky now. They actually switched to fuel injection. They're able to have a lot more data from that uh, to be able to predict what they're getting for fuel mileage and how long you're able to go. And, and beyond that, beyond fuel mileage, you know, tire strategy is pretty big as well. There's there's tracks that are, are more abrasive on tires than other. You know, the, uh, the older worn-out surfaces are definitely harder uh, on tires, uh, and that's where tires come into play and, and when you need to pit, when you need to take tires, when you need to stay out. So, uh, yeah, a lot of those things come into play. Fortunately, as, as a driver, we, we don't have to make many of those decisions. Right. Uh, you know, we have the crew chiefs and the engineers to do that, but uh, that's definitely a big part of those those longer races. Now, with your crew, you know, I assume you can speak to this, but, uh, you know, are those a lot of those people, people who have raced on some level and then, you know, go to school for engineering or go to school for management or whatever and then end up in a, in a you know, a, a pit crew or how... Can you speak to how you would end up on a pit crew? There's there's a big mix, yeah. Um, you know, a lot of them uh, did grow up around racing or in racing. Um, there's there's some that, that didn't grow up around it, and they got involved with it on their own. Uh, and, and most of those guys have went to school. You know, you, we're seeing a big transition, honestly, in the garages that um, most, of, most of our crew chiefs now, especially at the cup level, uh, are all engineers. Um, it wasn't like that, you know, even 10 years ago. So, uh, beyond that, yeah, most of these guys that are, are, um, are working not on the race car, but at the, at the engineer crew chief level, uh, they went, they went to the engineering school. And, and then there's also a lot of other people, you know, that's not the whole team. We have about, uh, about 15 guys on our Xfinity car, um, from mechanics, uh, and everything else. So, uh, those guys just got involved with racing at you know a young age most of the time. Have been around it their whole life and and just wanted to be involved in it somehow. Right. Yeah, that's that's huge. And like you say, like they all have a really important role, right? Like the the drivers there, and then but everyone's you know from tires to gas to you know all the different elements. That's crazy. Now, how much do they they must restrict um, as far as engines and your aerodynamics, like the shells and and even tires and stuff like there must is there there's a fair bit of rules as far as what you can use yeah there is um you know we nascar polices that pretty well um there's a lot of motor rules to keep everything fair and then you know throughout the year they'll they'll take cars after a race and dyno them to make sure everybody's 
evened up. Um, but you know, there's there's specifications on motors that we can't exceed. There's certain rules on motors that we can't get around as well. So uh, it's the same with bodies and in, in aerodynamics and in chassis. All our chassis that are built uh, have to be approved by NASCAR before we can put them into into competition. Um, the bodies are, are are checked every week. There's a, a big basically one big template that drops down on the car uh, to check the body and then as well as uh, what what's called a LIS platform, which is basically a laser inspection um, over the car to check uh, basically the rear end tolerance uh, as well as tread width, uh, wheelbase and everything else. So there's a lot of a lot of pieces in place to keep the field even. Uh, that's why you know really in today's sport it, it's so hard to win these races is uh, because it's so hard to get an advantage. There's not not many times now in our sport where people uh, are able to get much an advantage on the rest of the field. Right. Yeah. Cause it's also normalizing. Everyone's pushing the limits so much that it's hard to be like, boom, you know, a huge percent in engine or, or aerodynamics or these crazy tires or something like that. Huh? So then how do you like, what's the winning is just like, it's back to like the driver has a lot of like, just not making mistakes and, and the strategy as far as when you pit, like that's really where the race is won then. Uh, yeah. Somewhat, you know, obviously there's, um, you know, there's still the, there's still going to be the best car when we go to the racetrack every weekend as, as many, uh, or as few variables as it seems like there are, there's still, uh, every weekend we go to the racetrack, there's always going to be one or two guys that are going to be very fast. Um, you know, but the, the thing is a lot of times, uh, those guys, you know, they won't win the race. Uh, it comes down to, uh, like you said, strategy, not making mistakes, the pit crew, not making mistakes, having good pit stops all night, uh, in the Xfinity races, you know, we'll usually pit four or five times, but in the cup races, they'll pit, uh, you know, nine or 10 times. So it's pretty crazy. You know, you got to come down pit road that many times. You can't make a mistake. You can't speed on pit road. Uh, you know, the pit crew uh, can't have any hangups, can't lose too many spots. Um, because when you do lose these spots, it's hard to make them back up, even if you do have a fast car. So uh, it's definitely a, a lot about not making mistakes, making the right calls. And, you know, you're kind of at a disadvantage as the fastest car or the leader a lot of times. Uh, especially if you get a late race caution, you know, trying to decide whether to come in or stay out, uh, not knowing whether you need to put tires on or not. Uh, because a lot of times the guys behind you, whether you pit, if you pit, they're going to stay out, or if you stay out, they're going to pit. So they're just going to do the opposite of you a lot of times to right. try to get that advantage on you. So it makes it really tough uh, to win these races sometimes. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. You don't want to be like the front runner necessarily. Hey everybody, we're going to interrupt the podcast for just a second for a quick word from a new sponsor. Are you a consummate athlete? I think so. I think so too. Why don't you head over to healthiq.com slash consummate athlete, help out the podcast, and also check out your health IQ. In addition to being a health insurance company, a life insurance company, mm -hmm. Health IQ has a really great website. They have really cool articles that they're posting all the time on their own blog and also just sort of their feed um, you know, I clicked on actually three or four while I was there, just interesting articles that popped up. So it might be a real great website to visit just on the regular anyhow, even if you don't want life insurance. Uh, that said, life insurance has been something that you and I have actually been talking about a ton recently. And the cool thing about Health IQ is they actually have special rates on life insurance for 
consummate athletes. Yeah, they basically advocate for lower rates for healthy people. You know, your weightlifters, your your runners, your cyclists. Um, high five. Yeah, I guess high five if you're one of those people. And so basically they're trying to leverage the fact that there's lower risk for cancer, say 45% lower, even 18% lower heart disease risk and 28% lower risk of early death for active people. So Double again, high five. that's great. So why would you pay for those higher rates, you know, that are taking those averages, you know, all those people who are you know, doing those unhealthy things. They're not out running, putting in the miles, you know, being healthy. Um, so, yeah, basically their idea is, that, you know, getting lower rates for life insurance, you know, which might fit into your sort of overall financial plan, uh, or it may not. But in any case, why don't you head over to healthiq.com slash consummate athlete. Again, help out the podcast. Check out some cool articles. Maybe take a few of their quizzes. I, I actually got two wrong on their weightlifting quiz. Womp womp. So, uh, yeah, still a pretty good score, though. I think I beat 63 million Americans. So why don't you go to healthiq.com, see how many Americans you can beat. Um, it's weird. I apologize to the Americans. You could beat an American if you were an American. That happens. <laughs> so, I yeah. forgot you were Canadian. Healthiq.com slash consummate athlete. Thanks, guys. And now back to the podcast. Huh. So now does the pit crew, like, would they be doing, like, is that part of your week of training, I guess? Like, is there, like, full team simulations on the pitting? And, and you know, would they be practicing as far as, because it's a pretty involved, like, really specific strategy and, like, routine. So are they doing that, like, full team simulations or is that something they do on their own? Uh, the pit crew practices on their own every day. Um, we have a, a full facility here, actually, at JGR, that uh, basically will simulate a whole pit stop. Uh, we've got a, a pit box set up um, where they the, the car will drive in, stop in the pit box. They'll come out and, and simulate a full pit stop. So they're doing that every day for a few hours. And there's times when drivers will come in uh, and drive the pit cars because, uh, you know, there's times where, you know, we feel like we need practice getting in into the pit box better. Mm-hmm. Um, that's actually not easy. You know, it, it doesn't seem like that would be a, uh, a challenging part of racing. But uh, definitely one of the, the more challenging parts of racing is uh, is those small uh, you know, things in racing of, of just getting on a pit road, maintaining proper speed, uh, getting into the pit box hard and fast and stopping on your marks. And um, a lot of those things are, are, are actually pretty tough. So, yeah, the pit crews, uh, they're practicing every day uh, and, and trying to get better. Yeah, I could see that being really hard because you're, you're not parallel parking, but you have to, like, basically put it between two lines after going really, really fast and, you know, being really focused on going fast. You have to suddenly, like, essentially parallel park a car. Yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 basically what it is, um, you know, and especially when there's uh, 30 other cars coming down pit road with you, all trying to do the same thing, and and, and your tires are hot, they're worn out, uh, the car doesn't want to stop on those hot tires, so it's it's tough, you know, you have to balance your speed, in, and at the same time, you know, a lot of these places we're still doing 45 or 50 miles an hour on pit road, so uh, to get slowed from that speed is 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 not something that you know usually happens too quick, even on uh, even in any condition. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now moving training wise, you know, we talked about for the pit crew. So now what for you, what does your, your week look like then, your training week? Well, I never honestly used to really do too much of anything until recently. Um, I, I just started picking up actually biking. Um, I, I started mountain biking and, and a little road biking as well. So, uh, those have been the big things that I picked up and started to work on, you know, a lot of things for us. Um, it, it's cardio. It's, it's not so much Strength does matter a little bit. Uh, we, we have to work on that some, but a lot of it is cardio. And, you know, our, you look back and 
can look at the heart rate uh, of a driver throughout the race, and it's, it, it's basically equivalent to that of, of running a marathon. So um, that's the biggest thing is just working on cardio and, and trying to keep us uh, in shape and, and keep that heart rate down throughout the race. Yeah, and a lot of times people will say, oh, they're just driving or something like this, right? Um, but, you know, it's it's really intense. Like you say, the, the heart rate's up and the heat is also an issue, right? Is that not part of this the strain on the heart is that it's really hot in the car? Yeah, especially in the summer months, you know, you you want to keep your uh, you want to keep your sweat rate down for sure. Uh, you know, you get in the summer months and it's it's a hundred degrees outside and and you're getting up around 130 or 140 degrees in the car. Uh, but beyond that, we've also got a helmet, you know, a fire suit on and, and everything else, and, and those things don't necessarily breathe too well. So, uh, you know, we're getting pretty hot. Our our core temperature is getting up there for sure, um, and and that's a big part of. Of, of trying to work on that and, and keep that better and, and keep that maintained, um, you know, as well as the G-forces we're pulling all day, um, they're they're definitely not easy on your body as well, and you're trying to uh, trying to be uh, in, in the best shape possible you can for that. Yeah, I've seen with the the neck and the G-forces and stuff, people do different neck exercises or like actual G-force simulators type thing. Like, is there anything like that 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 you do, or how do you get ready other than just driving? I haven't, uh, you know, I haven't done too much of that. Um, Toyota, uh, Toyota Racing Development actually has a simulator that we can go and use, and it's um, it's pretty accurate. I've used it before. I, I've used it probably actually quite a few times before going to tracks, and especially going to new tracks and and trying to get a visual on these places. You know, a lot of times, if you can just have an idea of what the track looks like in general, uh, it'll help you on any given weekend. So there's times, especially road courses, that um, I'll, I'll go and and do the simulator beforehand and, and try to get a feel for the racetrack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would imagine that's a huge benefit just to know, like you say, especially on more road courses, that just to know, you know, which corner and, you know, what's coming. And then even if you can simulate any sort of the forces and stuff too, like it would just be, it would let you focus more on the driving versus, you know, navigating it, right, or being shocked on the situation. Yeah, for sure. You know, I mean, as uh, you want to try to get yourself in the, in the best position possible to not honestly not have to think about driving too much. You know, it should be almost programming in your system to be able to go out there and, and drive uh, so you can focus on how to make the car better, whether it's it's loose or it's tight. Um, you you want to be able to focus on that and, and how you need to go and make that better, what it needs to do better and communicate that back to the crew chief. That's, um you know, that's a pretty important part of racing. And if you can be the best communicator in the field and, and tell your crew chief better what the car needs to do to go faster for you. Um, you know, obviously you're going to be better off than the next, the next guy. Right. And what about the heat? Is there anything like, I mean, again, I guess you can go and drive and drive as much as you can and you'll get exposed to heat, but is there anything that you do to prepare better for the heat? You know, I, I've never really done anything. I've, I've heard of, of some guys doing some stuff for, for heat training. Um, honestly, I think, the best way to do it is just to do it, you know, I yeah. mean, there's not a, a great way to simulate it, uh, unfortunately, but I think the best way is, is just to get out there and, and you have to get used to it. Um, I definitely think it's it's tough when you get to those first few summer races of the month or those first few hot races of the year. Uh, it's tough and you definitely feel it wearing on you a little bit when you get into those cars and, and you're not used to it right off the bat. But, you know, I noticed usually by the second or third hot race that I'm, I'm pretty used to it. And honestly, I'm not thinking about it too much anymore. And and, uh, and the heat's pretty normal. So it, there's nothing that I've, I've really ever done, but um, I think you just kind of adapt to it and, and figure it out. Sure. 
yeah, I think sometimes we make that stuff too complicated. Uh, but yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, as far as how many times are you, so on that note, how many times are you like in the car driving quickly, like not just driving, you know, to work, but how many times are you like on the track each, each week? Like, would it be three times or just on the weekend or like how often do you actually get access? Uh, anymore, just on the weekends, you know, it used to be back a few years ago that there was a lot of testing that was allowed in NASCAR and, and drivers could be testing every week uh, at a different track, but uh, they've, they've taken most of that away and we really aren't allowed to test too much anymore other than um, you know, testing different sets of tires for, uh, for Goodyear, the tire manufacturer. So, um, the only track time we get now usually is on the weekends when we show up and we show up, uh, usually a day or two before the race, uh, in the Xfinity series, we get two practice sessions of, uh, of about, uh, two hours and, um, and we're able to, uh, to go and adjust on it there. And, and, and that's really the only track time we'll get, um, on that, on that given track. Wow. So they, they actually regulate how much time you can drive on a track. They do now, yeah. You know, obviously, um, it's it's not free to go and and run these these cars on racetracks, and yeah. they it was a basically a cost saving measure to to get rid of the testing and try to try to have some of the uh, lower budget teams be more competitive because um, you know at times here five or six years ago there was teams that were uh, had full on test teams, you know, separate from the teams that would go to the racetracks. Uh, they had a truck and, and team going around pretty much every week to a different racetrack. And testing at tracks that we were going to every week, and and getting a a pretty big advantage on other teams. So uh, they they got rid of that a few years ago. Uh, at first, it was banned to where we could go to um, you know I think three tracks or four tracks a year have have three or four tests a year. Uh, but now within the last two years, it's been eliminated completely um, to where we can't have any tests. Hmm. So then, are you so I would think the simulators and stuff then would become more popular with people once they started limiting the actual driving they could do? It has. You know, that, that's when the simulator really came into play is when they started to uh, limit the, the testing. You know, not only for, uh, for the drivers, but for the teams as well. We're able to use these sims to help with setup uh, and help make the car better. Uh, and it's actually pretty accurate. We're able to do a lot of things in the sim that we're able to transfer over to the race weekend and in the race car in, in real uh, real-time experience so yeah that's that's really when the sim started to come around was when the testing bands started coming in uh and they really started to work on developing them and making them a lot better okay now with cycling um that's obviously the sport that i i really like but uh you know you're in beautiful country uh down near charlotte and in north carolina um so you're riding some mountain and some road so now how how have you found getting into cycling like do you find your driving skills are, are transferring over or how are you finding that uh no it's tough uh, i'll be honest with you you know I, I hadn't probably rode a bicycle in in six years when i got into one here and i've only started about a month and a half ago um and i started out on a mountain bike and i'd never mountain biked before um and, and went out and and tried it out basically and it was interesting you know i i didn't fall down so that was good um but other than that no nothing's nothing's transferred over actually uh, I got on a road bike for the first time and, and that was a, a pretty different experience. You know, the, honestly, the speed is, is so high on those things. It's a little intimidating at first, you know, you're going 30 miles an hour on a bicycle, yeah. uh, on the road. That's, that's definitely a little bit, uh, a little bit different than anything I've ever done before. It's interesting to hear a man who goes like hundreds of miles an hour <laughs> say that, but, um, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, actually the, the guy I, uh, that I do cycle with, I was talking to him about it and I was like, man, you know, it's some of this stuff, it's kind of, 
it's kind of intimidating in the mountain biking and, and everything at times where it's like um, we were tracking some times and seeing what the fastest um, times were on the on the on the um, the circuit we were on and and uh, I was about four or five minutes off that I think and it's like man I don't know where I can pick up four or five minutes. <laughs> I like that you're doing analysis already, though, on, on the track. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and, and he said he actually went with the guy who, uh, who holds the record there and said that he just never slows down for turns or anything, and I'm, I'm crawling around the turns. I'm scared. I don't want to fall down. Right. Well, it's good. It's good to have. It must feel good. In, you know, I found that we're trying triathlon a bit this year, so I'm learning swimming. Um, and it's definitely it's fun going, you know, once you're really good at something to go and try something else, if you can sort of embrace that beginner mindset to go and try that, right? You must find that, like, every time you go, you must feel faster. Yeah, it's definitely neat. You know, it's it's something that, um, you know, as a competitive person, to have something to, to compete against, you know, that's always fun. You want to better yourself and, and get as good as some of those other guys are. And um, going into it, it's, it's fun to see the improvement. You know, each time you go out, you get a little bit better and a little bit faster. And and it gets a little bit easier, and, and you feel like you're able to, to go harder. So that's um, that's pretty cool. You know, it's um, it's neat to see the the development like that, and uh, and to be able to get better. Okay. So now, as far as skills, I always you know with cyclists we like to talk about the the mechanical skill. Um, you grew up around a family business based around cars and stuff too. So now, how much how are you with the mechanics? Like I know probably as a professional driver, you don't have to do a ton, but you know, are, are you decent with mechanics and, you know, do you enjoy it? Is it part of your, your routine or? Yeah, I'm, I'm not too bad with it. Um, I mean, I can do your basic, basic stuff on a car or, or a race car. Um, I, I grew up around it more so, you know, I mean, obviously starting racing at seven years old, um, I was, I was involved with the cars at that point and always was, by the time I was eight or nine, I was out in the, the, uh, the barn at night helping work on the cars and prepare them for each week, doing the basic tasks, you know, I mean, stuff that, most people could do if, if they just uh, learned about it a little bit. And, um, you know, today, obviously, I don't I don't work on the car anymore. You know, they try to <laughs> they try to keep me away from that. Not that I don't need to be anywhere close to it. Um, so, you know, I, I still do some stuff on the side on on some go karts and, and some personal cars I have. But but that's about it to this extent. You know, I I was always pretty basic. I never uh, was able to do complex things mechanically, um, just some basic stuff. OK. Now, do you see, you know, maybe you see some younger drivers coming up or, you know, is there, is it pretty common that drivers have some sort of, you know, upbringing because they had at some point had to do it themselves or is there now starting to be younger drivers who, you know, go pro instantly, I guess, you know, and are are supported or their parents are helping them all the time so they don't actually learn that small engine, you know, change your own oil sort of uh, mechanics? Yeah, I think there's a lot more guys now. Um there are coming up and don't really know too much about the race cars in general or, or much about them mechanically, which, you know, that's okay. I think it's a little bit of a changing of the guard than, than it was here, you know, 20 or 30 years ago in the sport. But, um, yeah, I think a lot of it's just because, you know, even sometimes, um, those kids, their, their parents aren't, uh, they weren't, weren't racers or weren't car people or involved in that kind of stuff. And a lot of times they'll, uh, they'll hire somebody or, or pay somebody to drive their car or have them work on their car. So, you know, the parents won't even be involved in that. So obviously the kid wouldn't be involved in it either. But, you know, when I started out, um, it was, it was my parents doing it all, uh, ourselves, you know, my dad working on the cars, my dad and I, and, and, uh, even all the way up until late models, I was still pretty involved in working on it. And, and when we got to late models, we, 
uh, hired our first crew chief because at that point I felt like uh, we both felt like we were a little bit outclassed at that point on, on knowing some of the, the setup things at that level. But, um, you know, I, I still to this day try to stay involved with setups as much as I can. You know, I feel like I know the basics of it and know what you know, the general idea of a of a change would be um, when we do make a change. But honestly, when I'm at the racetrack and, and we make changes, I don't, I don't like to know too much what we're doing just because I think sometimes, you know, the crew chief will tell you what they change and you'll get kind of a preconceived notion of, hey, this is what it should do. Uh, and you don't want to second guess yourself out on the track thinking this is what it should do. So I'm going to tell them it did this, even though it, it did something different. Right. Yeah, I think that's a tough call in a lot of sports now is, you know, the kids aren't, you know, we're trying to help them out as early as we can and get them going, but then they miss that that early stage mechanics and, you know, learning stuff and sort of, like you say, the fundamentals of the the, the sport or the engine or the machine or whatever the they're doing. The diagnosing, right? You come in and you're like, my shifters aren't working. Yeah, yeah, we certainly, idea. I think, in cycling are guilty of this too. Um, but yeah, exact same thing. Like when you're driving and something goes wrong, you know, you're able to figure it out either on your own or, or like you say, sort of tell someone whose job it is to, to work on it. Right. And sort of help the process. Um, so the other part of car racing and a lot of sports is, is the sponsorship, but certainly NASCAR does really well. So what I was wondering is, you know, you talked about growing up and doing it as a family project, you know, how did, how did you navigate that world of sponsorship as a, as a young driver, I guess? Like, I, I mean, obviously winning helped, but, you know, is there, did you have any help along the way or did you have a, a theory or a system that helped you, you know, gain those first couple sponsors? Early on, it's, it's really tough. Um, you know, there's not a lot of people that want to sponsor a, uh, a late model that's getting, you know, pretty minimal exposure, just local local track exposure to, uh, whoever the fans that show up are that are there. Um, you know, even it's tough at the, uh, the truck and the Xfinity level to get sponsors at times. So, um, you know, early on, a lot of it was, uh, was my parents funding me throughout late models. Um, and, and there were some small, you know, helpers here and there that, that threw in some money and, and wanted to help out. But a lot of it was, um, it was very small, you know, buying sets of tires or, um, things that, you know, weren't, weren't too, uh, outrageously expensive so it's it's really tough um you know you have to be in a position there's some guys that do get very lucky and they they find somebody that wants to support them early on and helps them a lot out through the early parts of their career um but i was fortunate enough to have a family that was able to support me for uh, a while up until i got into uh into the truck series and then i was able to get more involved with with toyota uh and and have them help support me some and and um and go through the ranks there so you know, it's, it's really tough when you're getting that minimal exposure at the local level. You know, there's, like I said, there's not a lot of people that are going to want to help out just because there's no, you know, there's no big exposure. Uh, you're not getting on TV. Um, you're not doing those kind of things. So it's, it's, it's pretty tough. It's funny because I think we all have the misconception that car, like race car drivers just start out as like having big sponsorship packages. But yeah, you guys start somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um... So if you're a new person to car racing, but you think it sounds kind of cool, what's the most fun thing to do? Is it to go watch some of that local stuff or is it watch the big NASCAR races on TV? What's, yeah, what's going to be the most fun? I think, you know, for any new fan that, that is, is wanting to check it out or just is curious about racing, I think the local short track is the place to go. You know, you really get that uh, in-depth experience and, and you're able to go and, and mingle around a little bit closer to the racing than you are at some NASCAR events or, 
it's a totally different experience, you know, being there in person and watching those guys go at it than watching it on TV. I think you have a, a little bit of a new respect for it if you watch a, a race in person. Um, it's, it's just so different. You know, the speeds are, are much higher in person. It looks like we're going pretty slow on TV a lot of the time. So you get a real sensation of the speed and, and you get the kind of the, the sense of the intensity around it and, and the aroma and the, and the smells and everything that come along with racing. So it's uh, it's definitely something I think you need to check out in person. And I think the your local short track is, is definitely the best place to do that, to, to get a real sense of it. I like that. And then if you are going to watch one on TV, what's like the most exciting of all of the races to watch? That's a, that's a tough <laughs> question. Yeah, it's subjective. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of tracks that I think people are, people think some will think are exciting. Others don't think they're exciting. Um, you know, Martinsville is a great short track race. A lot of the short track races are pretty exciting in NASCAR, whether it's the Xfinity, the truck or the cup series. So, um, you know, Bristol Martinsville or the road courses are pretty exciting. They're a little bit different, unique. Um, so there's a lot of tracks we go to, uh, that, that are just totally different. You know, some people like the super speedways that uh, are two and a half miles, Daytona, Talladega. They're, they're a very different style of racing than anywhere, everywhere else. So, um, you kind of have to watch and figure out what really, you know, what you really like and what you really enjoy. And, and like I said, they're just all so different. Uh, I think you really have to see and, and find out which one's, you know, the most exciting for, uh, for you. Mm-hmm. Awesome. The, I was just reading an, uh, a, a one pager on you here and, uh, you, you really like books about like other high performers. And I'm wondering, is there any books that come to mind that you've really enjoyed or have been sort of foundational in your sort of mindset and racing? Um, that you can sort of give us to sort of look out for and try and get for ourselves here? I don't know if there's any any one book. You know, I think I read them all and kind of take little bits and pieces from, from every one. Um, I, I read, you know, Jeff Gordon's uh, biography when I was really young, and obviously I think that was a pretty big influence on me, seeing um, what he started doing and what he started racing in and when he started racing and, and what he moved up to at what age. And I think that was probably a big thing for me and a, a big influence to – to look at his book and, and see um, kind of what he did early on in his career and, and how he advanced through the ranks. Okay, that's a good one. That makes sense. And I mean, it's it's something that, you know, it makes sense when you're getting into something to look at sort of the different pathways that people have taken. Um, so that's that's a good one. I like that. Um, is there anything else on your end? I mean, I think that's that's given us a good introduction. We got some links. I think I understand car racing more now. Is there anything yeah. else that you feel like we didn't get covered here today? And I think we got it all. I, I can't really think of anything else that, um, that would add to it. But I think that was really the basic of of, of racing and, and, and really a lot about it, a lot of um, how you advance through it and, and some of the things you do to get there and, and what um, you know what it's really all about. All right. And so when is next race for you? Uh, we'll be racing Saturday uh, at Phoenix, uh, Phoenix Arizona uh, at, at 1 uh Three o'clock Eastern time, I think. So okay. don't quote me on that, but that's that's pretty close, somewhere around that time out there in Arizona. And now, how much le- is left in the season then? Like, are you racing year round, oh. or is it like you must end at some point and get a break? Yeah, there's there's only two races left. We got um, Phoenix this weekend, and then we go to Homestead, Miami, uh, the weekend after, and then we're off until um, the second week of February, and we get back at it uh, in Daytona at that point. Okay, all right, and Daytona's a big one. Yeah, Daytona. Um, is our biggest race of the year, the Daytona 500. That's our, uh, you know, we, it's funny, we kind of start with our biggest race of the year. So it's, uh, that's when we all, we all want to go try to win. Okay. Well, I guess you get some time to practice then ahead of it and then 
carry on after, but super. All right, well, we'll link to all of those. Now, uh, you're on Twitter and stuff as well, right? I am, yeah. Uh, it's uh, Eric, E-R-I-K, underscore Jones, and uh, it's the same for, for pretty much every other platform as well. So awesome. uh, I'm on there, and, and I, I tweet a little bit throughout the throughout the week and month. So, uh, yeah, check it out. All righty. Very cool. Thank you so much. Um, all the best this weekend and with the rest of the season. And, yeah, we'll watch uh, to see if you can you can get a couple more. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Eric. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. We would love it if you'd go over to iTunes and leave us a review. And if you have any ideas or people you'd love to see on the podcast, feel free to tweet at us at Peter Glassford and at Molly J. Herford or find us over at consummateathlete.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Just a reminder to head over to healthiq.com slash consummate athlete to get your life insurance quote and find out how active people can get a good rate on their life insurance.